Welcome again to Gethsemane Sundays from Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Our presiding minister is Reverend Deborah Muter, music by Aaron Smith. The following sermon was recorded for January 10th, 2021. Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Wait, hold on. I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you're with me now, put your bulletins down. I can see all of you. We're going to just listen to it. And if you're watching this at home and you've printed a bulletin or you've got it on your screen, set it aside for a moment. Just hear the words. And I'm going to read this from verse 1 from the Common English Bible. And this is still Mark 1, starting at verse 1, going to verse 11. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look. I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way, a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I am coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. I wanted to read that, not only from a different translation, but to include those first few verses because they're important. And quite honestly, I could do a whole sermon probably just on that first verse. Don't worry, you won't get 11 sermons today. I'll try to keep it to one, right? But that first verse that says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. Wait, let me shorten that up a little bit. The beginning of the good news, and if I stopped right there, it would be like the introduction of many stories of that time connected with the Roman Empire. Think about it like this. If I sat down with you and in a group and we said, I'm going to tell a story, and I said, long ago, far away in a distant land, right? You would already be thinking about probably kings and queens and the end is going to be and they lived happily ever after, hopefully, right? Or maybe if I started the story like this, especially around a campfire, and I said something like, it was a dark, 
stormy night. Just the first few words of the story can already give you an idea of how things are going to go. It's called a literary cue, right? Tells you something that is familiar. And so the beginning, that when Mark wrote his gospel, starting off by saying this is the beginning of the good news, any good reader of that time, or mostly hearers, people were hearing this, read to them, would have said, oh, I know what good news is. See, it's kind of strange because it's good news. It should be, yay, good news. But really, good news of that time meant that Rome has conquered someone else. Rome has subdued, pushed under their foot someone else. Now, I suppose that's good news if you're an ardent Roman, but the reality is that the hearers of this message, for the most part, though they might have been of Roman background, had converted to Christianity and they wanted to hear about Jesus. And they knew already, or they were learning, especially as they heard Mark's gospel, what good news really was. So Mark wasn't the one to come up with this. He just used it from that. And he got his listeners' attention right away. Caesar Augustus, and also as you just go a few more words into it, where it says, the good news about Jesus Christ God's son was another bright flag going up to all the reader's ears that said, huh, you know what Caesar Augustus, the ruler of Rome, calls himself? God's son. He's claimed to be the son of God, so much so that it was printed on the coins. Caesar Augustus, son of God. We got a pretty big head and big ego to go that far. But that's what the Roman emperors did. That's why they fought tooth and nail and killed one another, even family members, to get or to keep that spot. Caesar Augustus, the son of God, which I put in air quotes, is a much different ruler than Jesus Christ, son of God. First of all, Caesar Augustus was not the son of God any more than you or I. Certainly children of God, yes, but, and Jesus actually was. The other thing is the message, the good news that came with Caesar was about death and destruction for people who were underneath Rome. It was about power to the highest, to the highest strength in Rome and just too bad for everybody else. Don't get in their way. But when you hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, God's son, and it fills in in the whole book of Mark, you hear about something much different. Very importantly, and I might mention this again later, but I want to make sure it gets in there, that the good news that comes from Jesus Christ is for all people, not just the winners, all people. That's important. Now, one mention of this I have to put in here after hearing the news, the national news this week, and hearing of discord in our own country's capital We need to hear more good news. We need to hear really good, good news from Jesus. Now, keep in mind that we're recording this service a couple days ahead. So if there's more news that comes about during these difficult times, um, it might not be reflected in this service, but primarily we pray for peace, right? That is the most important thing. No matter what we think about what's going on, we pray for the peace of God, right? Which passes all understanding. Peace and good news are truly what Jesus brings. And that's what Mark wants us to know right off as we head into his gospel. 
Mark is a great gospel to sit down and read the whole thing. Okay, we're all in the middle of a pandemic. We're stuck home more than we would like. Sit down and read Mark. Or get on Bible Gateway and click the button, and the nice man will read it to you. And you can just sit and listen to the story, because Mark's is probably the most, it's the shortest, and it's probably the most cohesive to listen all the way through and hear the whole story. We're going to be talking about Mark all the way from now till we start Advent again, um, probably at the end of November, the beginning of December of this year. This is, yeah, we're going to do that for a while. So we, Mark, right away, as soon as he starts his gospel, wants us to know what the peace and good news that Jesus would bring, would be. Now, and what does he start with? Well, first of all, we've got the prophet Isaiah saying, look, your messenger's going to come. And who's that messenger? John the Baptist. And I'll give you a little hint. John the Baptist basically is Isaiah, I'm sorry, Elijah all over again. If I'd come up here with a, a, a tall hat, a tall black hat and a pipe, and maybe a little black beard to go with it, Maybe it would look better if some man did it, but you'd go, oh, yeah, Abraham Lincoln, right? If I put on a clown hat, you know, a fright wig and, and, and something else, you go, oh, you're a clown. Don't pick up on that one, okay? Let's just let that one go, right? But you can tell by the way people dress who they're supposed to be. That's why we have costume parties. It's fun, right? So... In this story, when John the Baptist shows up dressed as he is in camel's hair and eating wild locusts and wild honey and proclaiming this message, he's just like Elijah of the Old Testament. Elijah, who was always expected to come back and tell about the coming Messiah, the coming king. I'm not saying that he's the reincarnation of Elijah. I'm saying he's the fulfillment. God works those things out. I don't. And so here he is coming in, and he's baptizing, which people before him had done. Cleansing, bath, washing, you're starting your life over. You go down in the river, and you come back in, up again, and you're a new person ready to start all over. But that kind of baptism is really different than what Christian baptism became after that. That's okay. It's important to see what Jesus was about even at his baptism. Now, we've got to stop for just a second and say... Because people ask me this, have asked me this for a long time. Maybe I've answered enough, they stop asking. But why does Jesus need to be baptized? We say baptism is for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus was without sin. Why does he get baptized? Well, first of all, first answer always is God knows, I don't, but I can give you a few things that I do know, right? One is it was a fulfillment of what was right to do. And Jesus explains that in one of the Gospels. But the other one is, as often happens in Christian uh, images, in stories, in the things that we hear, is there's more than one way to look at it and understand it. And it happens when we are baptized. When Eileen was baptized at this font, right? Forgiveness of sin. And I met with her parents beforehand, and we went over the whole thing. This is where you go, uh-huh, I remember that. Okay, thanks, John. Right. New child, all over. Now, is she still going to sin? I probably use the same example with you guys that I do with every other. And when they're little tiny babies, we think, oh, they're so sweet. They couldn't ever do anything wrong. That was your first child when you thought that, right? <laughs> but pretty soon they get big enough to crawl and creep and move around, and they find their way over to the plug-in, which is just about the right height as a child is crawling. And they go, oh, 
this is, and when they're playing with it, they stick their finger in it, and mom or dad goes, no, as they should. Child says, I'm not supposed to do that, goes away. But later, the child goes back over and goes like this. Anybody paying attention? I'm doing something I'm not supposed to. It's not that bad, but it is what we know is human sin. We were told not to do that, and we went right back over and did it. Eve was told not to eat the apple, and she sure did, and happily passed it on. We are told, and we know not to do lots of things, but we repeat those sins again and again, and we keep coming back to the altar rail and coming to God and kneeling in prayer and asking forgiveness for forgiveness, and of course, God forgives again and again. So we say in baptism that that original sin is wiped away and we're a new child in Christ. But we also say, we take that oil and mark each child or adult or whoever it is with the cross of Christ. And you had it too, Eileen. I got a little bit of oil on my finger and I put a cross on your forehead. And I said, it's never going away. Now, I can't say that I really see it on your forehead right now, but I know it's there. You know it's there. Your parents know it's there. Everybody who was in church that day knows. God knows and even the devil knows that you're marked as Jesus and he can't have you, right? You are a child of the king, which makes you royalty. And that's what brings me back to Jesus' baptism, that the importance of Jesus' baptism was about it being more like a coronation than anything else. Here he is, the son of God. Everyone pay attention. So much so that when he goes down into the water and comes back up, the heavens are ripped open. Or at least in Mark's gospel, it says Jesus sees that they're ripped open. Think about that and hold on to it. And if I don't remember at the end, you remember that at the end, that that happens again in Mark's gospel. Right? Jesus is the king who gets crowned at his baptism, but he's the king who's willing to die for his people. And he did die for his people, all people. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He will go out into the world all before the time that we hear about his suffering and death. Now we tend to think of baptism as a part of life, often early life as babies. We don't tend to think of it as a part of our deaths, yet it is. Now most of you, I'm sure, saw um, last week when we showed the video, some of you were able to be here, because you're part of the service, the two caskets of Kobe and Judy at their funeral. See, I've got something in my hand I'm working with here. I'm going to put my mask on, and Eileen, I want you to come up, because I want you to help me with this a little bit. Okay? Will you come up right now? Go out the way you did before, not by Dad, the other direction. So, those two Pauls, those two, hang on. You hold that for me, but don't open it yet. Okay. Okay. So baptism seems to be about new life. We baptize babies and adults, but it's a part of our death, too. So those two, right up here during that service, Eileen, you weren't here for that, but we had the two caskets from the people who had died, and we had white cloths over them as a sign and reminder of the fact that they were baptized, they had been baptized, and that we died to sin, in baptism and join Jesus in his resurrected life as they did. Now what you didn't see, that nobody saw here except for me and the family, 
is that at the graveside, I use this. Hold it up so we can see it. Okay, can I hold it again? It's a little container. It's got a screw top lid. Hold your hand out like a cup, real tight. And I'm gonna put a little something in there. Don't worry, it's nothing bad. What is that? What does it look like? Oh, come on. Does it look like candy? Okay, it's not candy. It looks like rocks. Let's put it back in. It's rocks and sand, and whoever vacuums here will know that we've been here, because you can just go with your hands, okay? It's almost empty, I need to refill it. This goes with me when I go to the graveside, and what I do, if you want to go sit down, you can. I just needed your hand. That wasn't very nice of me to put it in your hand, was it? At that service, at the graveside, I used this small dispenser, to carefully put out a cross of sand on each of their caskets, right up on the top. With the words, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, we commend to Almighty God our brother Kobe, right there on his. Our sister Judy, and a cross right on hers. And we commit their bodies to the ground. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's what this is a reminder of. The dirt of the ground with the benediction following. And then the Zelt's grandson, Nash, had brought along with him some holy water, and he sprinkled the caskets, each casket with that water. There it was, the cross of sand, dirt, dust, and then the refreshing and cleansing water of holy baptism, reminding us that God made us from the dust of the earth, and then at our deaths, God gives us new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth with God for all eternity in the resurrection. Jesus' death brought about the payment for all of our sins. Our baptisms are the time when God made us his own and forgave us all our sins. And we know that Jesus died on the cross, right? To forgive all our sins. Baptism, Jesus and our own, death on the cross, and very importantly, new resurrection life at Easter. This is the gift of love and peace that comes from Jesus, that takes us from this world to the next and sustains us in this world when others go on to the next. The truly good news that we get to share. Amen.
This has been a Wayne Shout production. Wayne Shout. <laughs>